You're listening to the Quince podcast. For about 2 months now more than 100,000 Russian soldiers have been present at the border the country shares with Ukraine in preparations on what the US says will be an invasion any day now. And the recent developments at the border are not reassuring, with reports of shell fire ringing out in the rebel-held territories in eastern Ukraine. Both Russia and Belarus have also extended the military drills that were due to end on 28 February, signaling intensifying pressure on the west. Now, diplomatic talks between US President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin have begun in the earnest, but no concrete headway has been made with the latter refusing to de-escalate on his demands. However, there are now talks of a possible summit between Biden and Putin sometime in the coming days or weeks. In our past episodes, we dove into why Russia is fielding soldiers at the Ukraine border and the actions taken by the US so far. In today's episode, we will try answering the big question: What steps can be taken to deter a potential Russian attack? Will economic sanctions really work? What steps can be taken to prevent the worst? To discuss this, I have two great guests, Professor Harshvi Pant, who is the director of studies and the head of strategic studies program at the Observer Research Foundation, a global policy think tank, and P.S. Raghavan, who is a former Indian ambassador to Russia. Get tuned in to the Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Emmat. Let's start with the latest on the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which is a statement by the Kremlin that troops and border guards have prevented a quote-unquote diversionary reconnaissance group from breaching Russia's border from Ukraine territory and that five people had been killed. However, Ukraine has rejected this claim, calling it quote-unquote fake news and asserting that no Ukrainian forces were present in the Rostov region where the incident was alleged to have taken place. Russia has also further claimed that a shell fire from the Ukrainian territory has completely destroyed a border guard post in Russia's Rostov region but caused no casualties. Now, tensions in the Russia-Ukraine border have been high in the past few weeks, with explosions being heard in the center of Donetsk, a city in the eastern Donbas region controlled by Russian-backed separatists. On 17 February, a shell punched a hole in the wall of a kindergarten school near the border as well. But what do these incursions at the border signal? Is this Russia trying to create a pretext for war? Speaking in parliament on 18 February, Ukraine's defense minister Oleksiy Reznikov in response to a shell fire said that quote unquote our mission is not to do any of the things the Russians are trying to provoke us into doing. Professor Harshvi Pant is of the opinion that Russia in a sense may be looking to go to war without making it apparent that it has violated a country's sovereignty. Yes, I think yeah. in in a sense Russia is looking for a causes belly, right? So it, mm. it, it, it is looking for uh for a reason to to go to war without making it uh, apparent that it has violated a country's sovereignty if russia mm. goes into ukraine uh, today then uh, you know then i think uh, there is a chance that this idea of of ukraine's territorial sovereignty would be one that would galvanize uh, uh, you know a large part of the world uh, mm-hmm. that this idea that a smaller country can be taken for a ride by a bigger country and say it's, it's you know its territorial sovereignty gets gets violated uh, brazenly uh, is not something that i think mr putin is very keen on because it would also have repercussions for his engagements with other eastern european countries mm-hmm. which will which in, in an ironic way would become even more determined to get closer to the west you know they have mm-hmm. they already have their apprehensions about russia in the past Uh, given their historical legacy and uh, given that they had to come out of the soviet sphere of influence uh, 
post cold war and they have been struggling to uh, to come out of of of, of that uh, um umbrella and now that if if mr putin decides to invade ukraine brazenly then i think uh, he will uh, of course uh, uh, there'll be issues within ukraine and with the the, the way it will, russia will fight ukraine but also mm-hmm. uh, issues with other eastern european countries so he's he certainly would like to provoke uh, ukraine to do to to end up uh, doing something which he can then claim that look this is a this is a good enough reason for me to enter ukraine mm-hmm. there is no doubt about it and i think he's doing all he can russia is doing all it can at the moment yeah. uh, from uh, misinformation campaigns to uh, creating trouble in their russian uh, majority areas uh, mm-hmm. in the provinces of ukraine um, and uh, and already we are hearing some uh, you know reports of people um you know so some someone is dead and that is being blamed on, on yeah. ukrainian forces so uh, so i think there is a there is a, a pattern here to mr putin's madness and and that is something that uh, that perhaps uh, is well understood that he is looking for a causes very at the end of the day if ukrainians uh, end up uh, even uh, doing something which he can then claim as a legitimate reason for him to enter ukraine then perhaps mm-hmm. he will not receive uh, the kind of uh, pushback from other countries that he might otherwise if he brings okay. in the interest thing the other big development which happened over the weekend is the possible joe biden vladimir putin summit which may take place later this week this summit according to a statement released by the french presidential office on 20th february will focus on the security and strategic stability in Europe followed by a second summit with relevant stakeholders while the white house has agreed to the summit in principle as long as it holds off launching an assault on ukraine which the us has warned is more likely with every day however russia since the statement came out has thrown doubt over the meeting with kremlin spokesperson dmitry peskov calling the meeting quote unquote premature and that the call between macron and putin resulted in agreeing on dialogue at the level of foreign ministers only Now the question which hovers over the summit is what can the US and its European allies offer Putin to quell any possibility of an invasion just to recap for our listeners Moscow has listed security demands to deescalate tensions which include banning Ukraine and other former Soviet states from joining NATO the military alliance and placing a limit on the deployment of troops and weapons to NATO's eastern flank which in effect returns NATO forces to where they were stationed in 1997 Professor Harshvi Pan believes that since neither side will agree to the demands of the other the only middle ground that may be possible is for Ukraine to voluntarily come out and say that it won't seek a NATO membership he weighs in on Russia's demands and how realistic they are uh, see i think uh, what uh, mr putin is asking for is uh, certainly not something that can be given to him by the west he has uh, you know he has made his demands very clear knowing full well that west um cannot accept those demands without losing face uh, you know at various ends either they they uh, you know lose ukraine uh, or they give up on some principles that they espouse uh, or mm-hmm. they or america's credibility goes down or western credibility goes down in the indo-pacific you know in the in other theaters so i think he knows that well so he has done it um, he has crafted this narrative of um, uh Ukraine uh, should not end up into into a uh, western uh, camp uh, and it should not become part of NATO uh, but ultimately the the position that the west has taken is that this is not for anyone else to decide it is for Ukraine to decide now mr mm-hmm. putin has already also been demanding that western forces should should evacuate eastern europe 
Now, again, I don't think that's a position that uh, that uh, many Eastern European countries would endorse, uh, and it would be very difficult for uh, for Europe to concede to that demand because that would basically mean uh, giving uh, Russians a carte blanche in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I think he knows that well. He knows uh, that these demands would be, uh, you know, rejected. But what he, I think, he's he's aiming for. Uh, by by starting off at, at this maximalist position, he's seeking some kind of a, a face-saving formula. Now, in, in particular, because it is, uh, you know, uh, I don't think either side can back down uh, without mm-hmm. losing seas. So now, uh, I think the only way this gets resolved is that if Ukraine voluntarily comes out and says that, look, uh, at least for a few years, uh, I, I have, you know, I'm not going to join NATO uh, and and gives uh, you know gives this uh, patina of credibility to uh, to the demand that the, that the Russians are making and mm-hmm. the the, the uh, non-acceptance from the from the Western side. So you have to find a way where the fundamental demand of Russia for uh, security gets satisfied, as well as the Western demand for non-negotiation on certain principles like territorial integrity or the sovereign right of a country to decide what it wants gets mm-hmm. Now, one of the big deterrence measures that have been in the news and that you may have also heard is the threat of quote-unquote devastating sanctions against Russia by the US. US sanctions on Russia are not new, with the former issuing sanctions following the 2014 invasion of Crimea, which resulted in Russia's GDP crashing 3%. But the big question is, how effective will they be now? Well, According to a poll conducted by researchers at the College of William and Mary and the University of Denver, nearly 90% of 362 international relations scholars by and large support sanctions despite their so-so record to date. The sanctions, according to NYT report, will be aimed at Russia's financial institutions, mainly SWIFT, which is a bank messaging network connecting more than 11,000 financial institutions. This, according to the report, will make dealing with Russian banks cumbersome and even deter international banks from dealing with them eventually. According to Mr. P.S. Raghavan, who is the former Indian ambassador to Russia, further sanctions may hurt the Russian economy, but these sanctions will also hurt the global market as well. See, we should first remember that since 2014 onwards, mm-hmm. a very large number of sanctions have already been imposed on Russia for various real or presumed transgressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, there, and of course, also, one, one knows that sanctions eventually cannot deter any country which, which believes it is acting in its national interest. Mm. Any country which believes that it is acting in its core national interest will say, I will take the sanctions because my national interests are important. Mm. And I've tightened my belt and, suffer, belt and suffer it. Having said mm. that, it's also a fact that, you know, these sanctions that have been imposed since 2014, yes, mm. they have had some impact on the Russian economy. Russian economy has not grown. Uh, as as fast as it should have without the sanctions, but it has not brought the Russian economy down to its knees. Mm-hmm. Now, any further sanctions which are imposed, since already a very large number of sanctions have been imposed, any further sanctions will hurt Russia, of course, but it will mm-hmm. also hurt those who are imposing the sanctions. Very simply, I mean, you're talking about what the Americans have said. The Americans firstly talked about cutting Russia out of the financial uh, system, the SWIFT mm-hmm. and other financial system. Now, yes, it will be disaster for the Russian economy, but it will be equal disaster for other economies which buy oil from Russia, which buy gas from Russia, which buy wheat from Russia, which buy copper and nickel and aluminium and all those. 
and as they said in uh, as they were discussing in, in the us they are discussing that you know uh, one of the first things that may happen is oil may go up to 110 dollars a barrel now oil going up to 110 dollars a barrel would mean the inflation goes up to 10% 11% in the us is the us public willing to accept a high price of gas uh, uh, on the uh, argument that russia uh, russia is suffering more you know mm. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that somebody else is suffering more does not actually make your suffering more bearable. So the problem with <laughs> sanctions today, therefore, is that any sanction that you impose also in- involves pain for yourself. And democratic yeah. societies, which need to go to the polls every two years or something or the other, cannot afford to have their people suffer uh, economically on the argument that you're punishing somebody else outside the country. So this yes. is a, this is always a problem with sanctions. We also took this question to Professor Pant, who said that economic sanctions like SWIFT may not work against Russia since it is not something Putin himself may be worried about. He adds that the threat of sanctions for any country also requires global unity against the country the sanctions are being issued, which is currently missing. It's very unlikely that economic sanctions would work given that they have not mm-hmm. worked in the past in most cases. Mm-hmm. They have not been able to produce the kind of desirable outcomes, desired outcomes that that mm-hmm. America or Western countries have had uh, in mind. Uh, and in fact, it has produced the opposite reaction, right? Yeah, if yeah. you go all the way back to India, where we were mm-hmm. sanctioned for uh, nuclear uh, you know, weapons, and uh, thus we became more determined to pursue mm-hmm. nuclear weapons. Similarly, I think other countries are, are very similar in, in, in terms of that. So it's very, very doubtful whether uh, whether these sanctions would produce uh, the result. Uh, also, two, two other reasons. One is that... Uh, Mr. Putin, uh, you know, uh, the, the economic uh, debilitation of uh, Russia is a reality, right? Economically, mm. Russia is not really an powerhouse. Russia is a very weak country, very vulnerable country. Mm. So, but that is not his agenda. Mr. Putin's agenda is not economic revival of Russia. Mm. Uh, it is the revival of a certain idea of, of Russia. Uh, in historically, mm. and that is what he's very keen on, right? Saying that it, uh, the, the disintegration of USSR was one of the greatest geopolitical catastrophes, etc. So he, yeah. his idea is not based on economic revival of Russia in, as a modern economy. Uh, that is, uh, you know, if that happens uh, in the process, it's well and good. Here is an, uh, you know, he is a, uh, a typical authoritarian leader uh, who has a uh, who has a group of people uh, working for him, and they are they are the ones who have benefited from his regime. So mm. when you have a regime like this, which is not really um, concerned about general welfare, uh, rather than it rather than concerned about its own political legitimacy. Uh, it's very unlikely that uh, that sanctions would work. In fact, sanctions would make him more popular. He would stand mm-hmm. up and tell his people that he's standing up for them vis-a-vis the West. And mm-hmm. so his political authority gets even uh, even more entrenched. Uh, the other is, I think, uh, that he has already looked... Uh, sanctions often work when there is a collective will on the part of international community. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no There is no international community to speak of. Here we are only mm-hmm. talking about uh, America and the West. Uh, Russia has already reached out to China. China is the uh, single largest economy in the world today. And mm-hmm. if the Chinese coffers are open, if Chinese are willing to support Russia, then there is very little that uh, that uh, you know, that the kind of impact that the West would uh, hope for with sanctions would never happen. I think mm-hmm. where sanctions would happen is, is perhaps in the banking sector, or if there are ta- they, they, you know, the sanctions are very targeted. Uh, aimed at particular individuals, Mr. Putin's in, inner circle. But I, mm. I don't think even that would uh, you know, uh, uh, lend himself 
that would lend, uh, you know, uh, that, that that would change the contours of Mr. Putin's uh, policy engagement yeah. with the West, or whether it's Ukraine or elsewhere. I think he has a certain point of view which he deems important enough to be pursued at all costs. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is a good example that he has he has pushed uh, Europe to a brink where he wants to reset the geo-security order set, set up in the post-Cold War era. And he has made uh, the, the, the Europeans, uh, uh, you know, uh, look at Russia uh, again and look at Russian concerns again uh, with a degree of legitimacy. So in a sense, uh, he, is, uh, he is winning all the way. Professor Pant adds that what is important for the West to understand is that treating the crisis at its surface will only work in the short term and that the US needs to discuss the symptoms and the roots of this crisis with Russia to ensure stability in the region. I think the learning, uh, the most important learning is that, uh, you know, uh, what what Crimea did was uh, to, um, or the crisis did then, was to underscore uh, not the root of the problem, but merely the the you know the symptoms. So mm-hmm. the so, so so what the West tried to do after that was to cure the uh, you know the symptom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you had the, the uh, you know the sanctions uh, relatively weak sanctions imposed. Yes, they did bring down some some uh, uh, economic heft, but Russians were really not. Putin was not bothered. Russians may mm-hmm. or may not have been bothered. Uh, and then you had the Minsk agreement, right? So yes. the, so the idea that. Uh, you know that you did not really see that what Crimea was all about. Crimea was uh, basically Russia's way of signaling their discontent with the geopolitical order post Cold War. But the Europeans and the Western world took it as uh, as a particular problem that Russians are now going to you know uh, are, are interested in Ukraine. Russians are, of course, they are interested in Ukraine, but but Ukraine again is is part of a larger problem. So I think unless the the, the Western world and Russia and uh, Russia uh, come to a modus vivendi on the long term, uh, you know, challenge that that uh, that Russia is, is posing now, uh, we will keep on seeing these occurrences happen again and again. So mm-hmm. you know, the sanctions or or no sanctions, um, uh, Crimea or you know. Uh, and some eastern territory or more territory, I think they merely reflect the unease that Russians have or Putin has mm-hmm. with the present political order in, in Europe. And unless we are we start talking or Europeans start talking about that political order and its consequences and its management with the Russians, I don't think we are this is the end of it or even the beginning of it. I think we are, this is a long term trend which will continue because mm-hmm. there is there is dissatisfaction on the side in the part of Russia. And there, there would always be this simmering discontent in in Eastern European bloc because you know they are not, they of course are averse to Russia, but they mm-hmm. are now being put in a position where Russians are encroaching into their territory, and are by doing so they are demanding from Europe uh, a new bargain. And so whether that bargain is reached now or some other time, but it, it has to be reached sometime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not entirely evident that this crisis uh, is leading to that uh, will will result in that grand bargain because mm-hmm. uh, the, the solutions that are being proposed are still about the symptoms. You know, when when yeah. Biden says sanctions, uh, when they when they talk of um, you know Russia being cut off from global economy, that's really not the issue here. The mm-hmm. issue is something fundamentally very very different. And I think uh, if, if this crisis uh, raises uh, those issues, I think that might be even good for. 
uh, Europe and that might be uh, tangentially even good for Indo-Pacific because that, that can finally then bridge this divide between Russia and the West. And if that mm. happens, that will be good for, for uh, many countries here, including India. In the previous episodes of the big story on this crisis, we discussed the reasons behind why Russian troops are at the border and the role the US plays in these diplomatic talks. If you have missed those episodes, you can find a link to them in our show notes. So stay tuned to the big story and the quaint for more updates on this ongoing Russia-Ukraine crisis. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quince website and check out our other podcasts.